Thank you, Hebel Choir, for using your gifts to point us to that powerful truth of God's love in Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You'll see the text, some of it at least, in your notes, but you will, um, I think, be well served to having your own copy of the Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. You're sure welcome to use that and take it home with you. Today we're not going to, uh, to read this, we're just going to jump in, but I want you to know that that's where uh, we'll be working today as we look together at God's Word. A uh, little while back, I overheard a conversation between uh, two of my sons, uh, my youngest son Luke and my middle son Caleb. Uh, Caleb was uh, off in his bedroom um, just having some, some time by himself playing, and, and Luke walked in and he asked the question, he said, Caleb are you having alone time? Now, in our house, alone time is a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of people in our house, and so if someone's having alone time, that's kind of a sacred moment. And Luke knows this. Um, so, uh, so Caleb responds, uh, yes, uh, I'm having alone time. And Luke says, okay, good. I'll have alone time with you. And Caleb, in a very, uh, very patient manner, pointed out to Luke that that's not the way that it works. <laughs> Well, sometimes how you define a term or an expression can have some pretty big implications. It certainly did uh, for my two sons that day. And as we look today at uh, God's Word in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see Paul taking a term that had been used in one way, and he begins to, to shift it. You see, his, his, this, this, this church, the church at Corinth, had taken hold of the term wisdom and had defined it in a way that Paul was going to have help them see was just not, not only was it not adequate, it was actually quite destructive to use it and think about it in the way that they were going about it. Now, as, as we look at this particular passage, and not just us, but as Christians throughout the years have looked at this, they have noted that the language that Paul uses here is, is pretty strange for him. In fact, this is just a rather odd use of words and expressions when you look at the rest of what Paul writes. Some have even suggested that Paul didn't even actually write this, that someone else must have inserted it. But I don't think that's the case. I think we just need to remember that Paul was writing to a people who had grabbed hold of a word that was very commonly used around them, and they had allowed the use of the world around them, their culture, to begin to shape their understanding. And what we're going to see today is how Paul recaptures that word and brings it back around to its biblical definition, and in so doing, recaptures the minds of these people. Now, this has some pretty significant moments for us today. While we might not be using the word wisdom and might not be confused about what it means, we too have a, a culture and a world around us that is attempting to capture our minds. And so as we listen to how Paul is helping these people get back on track and how they think, I want you to listen as well. Because I think for us today, we also need this instruction to make sure that our minds are being formed in ways that would honor God and reflect what He has revealed in His Word. So that's where we're going today. Are you ready? That's a mostly ready. At least this side is. Are you all ready too? 
Okay, all right, very good. Here we go. Let's look at three ways that, that Paul redefines this word wisdom. The first we see in this first little segment here, verses 6 through 9, as Paul redefines the story of wisdom. Now just listen as I read these words to you. However, we do speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And let's just pause right here, and I want you to see some of the words that are, that are unusual, because what Paul is doing with this little segment is he's reminding the Corinthians that the story of wisdom isn't the story that had been told out in the culture around them, but rather was a part of a big story that had been told from the very beginning as God had revealed Himself through His Word, the Bible. So he, he uses some words that point us and them back to that big story. When he talks about uh, this age, he is reminding them that they are living in a moment that is different than other ages. And he marks out those other ages by pointing to the one who was crucified, the Lord of glory. This is the only place in the New Testament that we see Jesus referred to as the Lord of glory. And what Paul is doing is he's saying is, look, we live at this point of history, we're in this age, and then there is a, a point where the Lord of glory himself is revealed. So that all of human history after Jesus on the cross points backwards to it, and all of human history before the cross points towards it. So he holds up Jesus as the center point that divides out the ages. And he says all of this was part of God's predestined plan before any of the ages, back before God created. He had already, in his wisdom, determined a plan that was going to elevate Jesus on the cross in his, res in his death and resurrection as the very center point of history. This story is the big story that Paul says, this is how we understand wisdom. We don't know it if it's, if it's apart from the story of a God who planned wisely to elevate Jesus. Now, just to have you some context here, there were other stories of wisdom that were circulating at this time. A man named Philo, who was a, a Jewish philosopher who lived down in Egypt just before the time of Paul, he wrote a lot about wisdom, and he was well-respected, and, and undoubtedly Paul knew of him and his work. The way Philo talked was he took the Old Testament and he kind of combined it with the Greek philosophy of the day. And he taught that wisdom, the story of wisdom, was not a story of a God who from eternity past had a wise plan for all of human history, but rather that wisdom was like a, a spark of the divine essence that had been disseminated all throughout humanity. It served as a kind of uh, impersonal reality and that, that really the task of humans was to find this divine spark within them 
And when they did, they would be free to escape this world around them. That was the story that Philo told about wisdom, and that was beginning to shape and influence people at the time of Paul, and probably was one of the stories that was shaping the people of Corinth. And so, rather than looking to God's plan and what He'd revealed in His Word, they were looking within, and they were looking to those who claimed to be wise, to have found this spark. You, you may have be, actually be familiar with this kind of thinking. If you've, if you've ever seen the Star Wars movies, you probably have heard them talk about something called the Force, right? The Force is this, this, uh, this inanimate thing that, that permeates all living creatures, and that there are special people, these Jedi who are able to tap into the Force, and they're set apart from everybody else because they're able to access it. Do you know who came up with that? It wasn't George Lucas. It was way back in, the, in history. It's that idea, that story that was shaping the people. And Paul says, look, look, that's not the story of wisdom. That's, that's not it. That story of wisdom, the, the Jedi Force story, that story will elevate certain human people over others, the ones who are more powerful over others. But the story of God's wisdom is a story that elevates only one human person, the human person, Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of glory. He's the one around whom all other aspects of human history orients. And this has some pretty significant implications for us, not just as we watch the movie Star Wars, but as we think about our own lives. Because our, our entire culture is, is set on communicating to all of us that the main character of our lives is me. Or rather, I should say, the main character of your life is you, and I'm the main character of my life. We're each the main character of our own stories. And we ought to have things our own way, and we get to shape our reality and our experiences the own way, our own way. We even get to form our own morality. We get to, to define what is real for us, our culture has bought wholesale into the idea that me is the center of the universe. But that is not the story that we see revealed in Scripture. What we see Paul saying to the Corinthians is true today, that the main character of your life is not you. It's Jesus Christ. The main character of your life is not you. It's Jesus himself. And you can only make sense of who you are in light of him because your life points backwards to him and forwards to the time when he comes again. You see, what this big story of wisdom does is it destroys human pride. It destroys the instinct in each of our hearts to elevate ourselves as the main character. And as it does so, it does so by pointing to Jesus as the real main character. But it also has a sec second implication. It, it doesn't just destroy pride in the human heart. It also, surprisingly, destroys despair as well. Look at verse 7, because I want you to see this and know that I'm not making it up. Hear it again. He says, On the contrary, 
We speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages, and then listen carefully to what he says is the reason why. This hidden mystery was hidden before the ages for our glory. Now, why is it that Paul would say that this hidden wisdom was for our glory? I thought it was to be Jesus who was the one who was the center of human history. How is it that our glory is caught up in this? Well, the the big story of God's Word is, yes, centered on Jesus. But what Jesus did on the cross was not just to cancel the debt that our sin and rebellion has incurred. He didn't just die to cleanse us of our sins. He did do that, but not just that. Jesus died to restore us to our place of glory for which God originally created us. You've already heard this today. When we read Psalm 8, you heard this truth being proclaimed over you. Hear it again, Psalm 8, verse 6. Speaking about humanity, the psalm says, You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. You see, what's at stake at the cross is not just that Jesus would forgive us our sins. He is redeeming us back to that original place of glory for which God created us. In the beginning, God created humanity to rule under His authority, but over all of the created order. This was the the place of preeminence, the place of glory. You and me, we were made to rule over this world. And so, particularly for those who are Christians, those who are claiming to trust in Christ as their Savior, when we approach this world with an attitude that would say, I just can't escape the the desires that I feel. They're, They're running and ruining my life. When we allow our physical desires to, uh, to shape and form and, and rule over us, we are abdicating the position that Jesus has earned for us. And it's not just about our physical desires. It's also about our fears. Jesus created us and, and has recreated us through his saving work to put us back in that position of glory so that we would rule over all of the aspects of this world, including our fear. When we feel out of control, when we feel the sting of pain, when we have to taste death, these moments will incite fear in us. And so we must remember our place. We are made to be kings and queens of this world. And so we will not be ruled by lesser forces. But note that he says that we are to rule not like the rulers of this age. We're not to be kings and queens like the kings and queens of this world who use their position to serve themselves. 
Rather, we are to be kings and queens like Jesus himself and use our position to exalt Jesus and to serve others. What Paul says is the big story of wisdom begins to radically reshape how we view ourselves and how we live in relationship with one another and with this whole world. Because if Jesus is at the center of it and he is restoring us to our place of rulership under his authority but over the rest of the world, then we are no longer slaves to anything in this world. We're no longer bound by the things that bind those who have not yet experienced redemption through Jesus. When Paul redefines the the story of wisdom, there's a lot of significance that comes as we reshape our thinking around it. But I want to press you briefly to see two of these other ways that Paul redefines wisdom. It's not just the story of wisdom that he redefines, but also the source of it. In verse 7, he refers to the mystery. That is, the wisdom is a mystery hidden in the past. Now, mystery is a, a tricky word because in English, when we use the word mystery, we tend to be referring to something that no one can know. It's an unsolved mystery. But that's not the way that he's using the word mystery. He's using the word mystery to refer to that which can only be known by revelation. Think about it this way. Uh, There are some things that happen inside uh, your head that nobody else will know about unless you speak them. This has been a source of frustration in my marriage for, well, quite some time. There have been some moments where Christy has asked me a question and I've answered her. And then she comes back and she asks the same question again. And and with a little bit more frustration, I answer her again. And then the third time she comes back and she asks me the same question. And now she's frustrated and I'm frustrated that she's asking the question again. And I say, I've told you three different times, this is the answer to the question. And she reports right back, well, you didn't say anything out loud. You may have answered in your head, but you didn't say anything out loud. Well, for a lot of years, I used to think that uh, she just was a bad listener. And then our boys came along, and I started asking them questions, and they didn't respond. And I'd ask them the same question again, and they didn't respond. And I asked them a third time, and then they would say, well, Dad, I've already told you. And then I began to realize, oh, the problem's not with her. It's, uh, it's, it's with me and uh, the way that our minds are made as men, perhaps. So the point is, there are some things that are happening in our head that unless we speak, they can't be known. That's the mystery that Paul's talking about. And what he's saying is the source of wisdom comes from the mind of God. And no one can know it. Not the special people, not the Jedi. No one knows this. Unless God chooses to speak. And the good news is, he has chosen to speak. That's what he was doing at the cross of Jesus. God was shouting to the world, here's who I am. Here's what I'm like. Here's how you can know me. God was shouting, this is my wisdom. And even today, 
As Paul says here, his spirit is shouting out, look at Jesus, look at the cross, because when you look to him, you'll find me. You see, the source of wisdom is not inside of us. It's not in the culture around us. It is in God's self-revelation. That's why the German theologian Karl Barth would say, God is known through God alone. And it's why we make a big deal about the Bible. Because it is only through the Bible that we know about the cross of Jesus. It's only through God's revealed word that we know of its significance and its power. And that's what Paul points to as he moves to his third way to redefine wisdom. He points to its great significance by saying, we have the mind of Christ. Because God's Spirit is at work, And because the cross stands out there for everyone to see and to know and to access, we can know the mind of Jesus himself. It's not an instrument that we sort of grab and then we put on. It's not like a hat that we put on the Jesus hat. No, what he's saying is we we can become, we can form in our own minds the same ways of thinking, of living, of being that Jesus himself had as we return over and over again to the Jesus revealed in God's Word. So the question that I want to leave you with today is a question that that I think can and should animate every aspect of our lives. It's the question, what does Jesus think? What does He think about me? What does he think about those people who I have to interact with? What does he think about those people who I really don't like and I wish they weren't around? What does he think about the problems that are so evident in this world? What does Jesus think? As we learn to think the thoughts of Jesus after him, we become embodiments of that mind of Christ. We become active participants in God's wise plan to elevate Jesus for the salvation and redemption of all people who will cling to him. So today, would you ask that question? And every day, would you let that question drive you? What does Jesus think? And you will find that you too can say with Paul, we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we know that we are wholly dependent on you to speak these truths and to make them come alive 
in our hearts and minds. And so as humbly as we know how we ask, would you make this revealed truth come alive in us? Would you reshape our thinking to match and to be like the thinking of your Son, Jesus Christ? And Father, we say thank you. Thank you for choosing to reveal yourself to us so that we wouldn't have to stumble around in the darkness and we wouldn't have to wonder, we wouldn't have to live in fear about what's going to happen or where are we headed or uh, is, is there any justice or is there any love? Thank you that you have revealed your love and your justice so that we can know that it's there, that it's real, and that it is for us. Would you both eliminate pride and despair in us as we become the people you created us to be through your son Jesus? Do this work, we pray, in his great and powerful name. Amen.